Father, once again, we are just very grateful to be able to come here and worship you um, as a local expression of your church here in Santa Barbara. God, we're thankful for your word and how it is really healing balm to hurting hearts. And it's so instructive to teach us and um, show us how we can live in a world that's marred by sin. God, and how you invite us in to share our pain and lament and complain. And God, you want to give us grace through, those, through that pain. You want to minister to us, Lord. So we ask, God, that through your word this morning that you would teach us and encourage us, that you would warm our hearts, God, with the good news of Christ. God, that you would restore hope if it needs to be restored, that you would help us to endure through hardship. And we love you, Father. So thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is this on? Can you guys hear me? Okay, it sounds so not on right now, but. Well, welcome to church. Excited to worship the Lord in word. And um, this down this alley, this breezeway just comes. We were up there freezing, so I changed into a jacket. But um, I'm just very thankful that we can gather again, and I'm thankful for the Word of God and how it really is a light into our path. We are in Psalm 13 today, and as I was thinking through Psalm 13 and thinking through lamenting and thinking through trials and hardships, I think for the Christian, I realize there are two big questions that can linger in our minds when we are faced with trouble and hardship and sorrow and pain. Questions that we direct towards God The first question usually is why? Why are you allowing this, God? Why would you let me grow through something like this? As the psalmist often put it, why do the wicked prosper while the innocent are crushed? So the first question that can come into our minds is why? The second question that we get, and this is after we get a moment to breathe and to take a break from wrestling with the extremely complex question of why, we ask, how long? How long, O Lord, must I endure this? At least tell me that. How long must I suffer? How long must I watch my loved ones suffer? How long till you bring bring healing? How long, Lord, till you right all the wrong and make crooked all, excuse me, that make straight all that is crooked in this broken world? How long, O Lord? Now, these are honest and real questions that either you've asked in your past or you're asking now or that you will ask in your future because even though as Christians we know that God is good and we know that God is in control, that doesn't change the fact that life is still really hard. Pain, sorrow, injustice, sickness, poverty, hate, these things are really hard to process, especially when we are personally experiencing it. Now, what Psalm 13 shows us today is that God has given us permission to complain and to express our dissatisfaction with what is going on in life. He invites us to share our pain and frustration with him in the language of lament. And through this language, there is grace to be had for the hurting heart. Now, we are now 12 chapters deep into our study through the Psalms, and seven out of the 12 Psalms that we've studied so far have been Psalms of Lament. That means by the end of service today, we have spent eight weeks of 2021 
studying ancient songs and poems and prayers of desperation, sorrow, anxiousness, doubt, and great distress and complaint over things like injustice, oppression, wickedness, brought about by all kinds of evil and hardship. So coming out of 2020, you would have thought we planned this, thinking, okay, we need to at least spend eight weeks lamenting what just happened last year. And we kind of sort of did as a pastoral team plan this. But I don't think I initially noticed how many of the Psalms found in the first book of the Psalter, of the first 41 chapters, were actually Psalms of lament. But you know what? I'm fully convinced that the Holy Spirit led us here for such a time as this. Because lamenting is appropriate right now. There is no lack of content in our world today to lament over. The world is in turmoil. And in a lot of ways it always has been, but in a lot of ways, I think we're seeing more tangible evidence of how broken and sin-filled our world is. Even if life is good here in Santa Barbara, it is our Christian responsibility to weep with those who weep, Romans 12, 15 tells us. So let's consider this psalm together, this psalm of lament. Now, Psalm 13 opens with both the title, Psalm of David, written to the choir master or the minister of music for Israel's corporate worship. Now, it was believed to be a personal lament, meaning it, is, it was specific to what David was going through at the time, but like many of David's deeply personal songs and authentic prayers, it was made into a corporate worship song. It fit into the corporate worship book of Israel. So Israel would sing this psalm in times of distress, in times of hardship, to collectively cry out to God and complain, but always concluding with praise, which we'll see is the proper form of lamenting. The psalm can be divided into three sections, and what we gain from this psalm is an extremely helpful template that shows us how we as Christians can lament in a world that is filled with pain and injustice. The sections are divided this way. David's complaint in verses 1 and 2. David's call to action in verses 3 through 4. And David's confidence, verses 5 through 6. So let's go ahead and reread Psalm 13, verses 1 through 2. David's complaint. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? The psalmist begins his prayer by lamenting, by addressing his lament to God. He begins by addressing God, the one who can actually do something about his problem. Psalm 13:1, How long, O Lord? I think this is important to point out because here we see, we begin to see, that lament is a language that is only Christ, that only Christians can speak. It is only for Christians. Let me explain. A lot of people complain to God about a lot of things, about how hard life can be, about how hard circumstances can be, all sorts of things people can find any reason to complain to God about. But those complaints aren't prayers. They aren't prayers of lament. Sadly, they are empty prayers that don't make it past the ceiling if they aren't proceeding from faith. Of course, God is sovereign, meaning he is in control. He can do what he wants. He is the king, and he can choose to answer any prayer he sees fit. 
But scripture seems to indicate that God does not listen to or answer prayers that do not proceed from faith in him. To give you a few verses to actually show what the, the Bible says about this, I'll give you a few. Psalm 66, 18 says, If there is iniquity in your heart, God will not hear. Isaiah 59, 2, If you remain in sin, his face is hidden from you. He won't listen. Proverbs chapter 1, If you reject God's call, he will not answer yours. Proverbs 28, 9, If you ignore God's law, he does not hear In James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, if you pray without faith, you will receive nothing. These are loose paraphrases, but this is what the scripture is seeming to indicate. You have to have faith in God to speak with God and pray with God and for him to hear your prayers. Now, in order to commune with God, you need to know who he is. You need to know who God is. You need to know his character. You need to know his holiness, his goodness, his righteousness. He is God, and you have to recognize that. And then you have to recognize that you are not. You are absolutely not God. You are needy. I am needy. We are dependent. We are undeserving. We are sinful. And when you hear that God demonstrated his love for you, you who were dead, I who was dead in my sin, by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sins, and you believe in faith that Jesus rose from the grave and you turn from your sin, this is the beginning of truly knowing God. And more importantly, being known by God and having access to him by grace through faith in Jesus. This is the foundational step in knowing God, hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's through this faith in Jesus that we now have the ability to speak with God, the God of the universe. Prayer is a privilege and it's activated by faith in Jesus Christ. And it is for those who know God. Now for David, he knew God so well that he was described as a man after God's own heart in 1 Samuel chapter 13. He trusted in God's steadfast love and faithfulness even though he didn't always see it. He had faith and through faith he had access to the throne of grace. All that to say, lament is only a language that Christians can speak. Now back to verse 1, after the psalmist addresses God, he then asks the question, or one question, excuse me, one question four different ways. He first asks, will you forget me forever? The psalmist doesn't believe that God will actually forget him or has forgotten him, as if uh, the psalmist has slipped God's mind. What he's referring to here is a divine forgetting. What he's saying is he's referring to God's restraint in helping him. He's asking, will you withhold your help from me forever. He then asks, how long will you hide your face from me? This is not God hiding behind a cloud. This is a reiteration of the first question. How long will you wait to help me? But this is also a description of how the psalmist feels in the moment. He felt like God was avoiding him and this caused turmoil in his soul. He then asks, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Here we see the psalmist is not only experiencing spiritual isolation, but also physical fatigue and mental distress. He's restless. He is tired of his own company. He longs to enjoy fellowship with God once again. And then finally he asks, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now this is a common frustration that we've seen throughout the psalms here is that David 
does not like seeing his enemies appearing to prosper and to succeed. He does not like seeing his enemies winning while he waits for God to do justice and to come and save him. But these are four different questions that the psalmist asks right off the bat that are really asking the same question, which is this, Lord, how long until you do something? God, how long until you intervene and you correct my circumstances, till you fix what's going on in my life, till you answer my prayers. This is a desperate cry for help, and it is a bold complaint. Now, we don't know exactly what it is that David is asking God to deliver him from, but there is a good reason to believe that he is sick, and, he appears, and it appears that he is deathly sick. In verse 2, we see the first mention of the enemy that is prevailing over him. And unlike the past, Psalms that we've read for Psalm 1 through 12, where his enemies were clearly understood to be either rival nations or wicked individuals within his own city or town or nation. Here the text seems to indicate that the enemy that David is referring to is actually death personified. Beginning here in verse 2, he uses the word enemy in the singular. Psalm 13, 2. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? He also does this in verse 4. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. The antagonist here in this psalm is enemy in the singular. And then once this enemy has prevailed, his foes in the plural will rejoice. What will this enemy do to cause David's other enemies to rejoice? It appears that he will have victory over him in killing him. David literally prays in verse 3, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. In biblical language, light in the eye meant good health. It meant good health, it meant happiness, and a dim eye indicated poor health, and it indicated grief and sorrow. Job, no stranger to poor health and great affliction, described his physical mental state this way in Job chapter 17, verse 7. He says, My eye has grown dim from vexation, and all my members are like a shadow. David finds himself in the same state as Job here. Bad health, both physically and mentally, which drives him to cry out to God to heal him, to remove this deep sorrow and to restore peace in his mind. David is longing for fellowship with God once again. And even though David knew how good God is, even though David knew that God loved him and his love will never fail, we are seeing that he is still really struggling with why God hasn't come to his rescue yet. He's still struggling to to understand why God hasn't come and done something and helped him. And I think this is an all too familiar struggle in the Christian life. That we know who God is as Christians. We know that God is mighty to save because his word tells us so. We know that God is a stronghold for the weak and the oppressed. That God is sovereign, meaning he is in control. We know that God is merciful and steadfast in love. That he is our promised deliverer and sustainer. That we know that God is our great redeemer. And yet, at times, it can feel like God is nowhere to be seen when the world feels like it's crumbling in on us. I don't know how many times I've had faithful brothers and sisters in Christ share with me that they have been praying and praying and praying and waiting 
and waiting and praying and waiting for God to intervene in their lives, for God to intervene in their circumstances and in their situations. And the way they would describe it, their spiritual state, it sounded an awful lot like what David is saying here. They feel as if God has turned their face away from them. Now, let me just say they would acknowledge, which I'm speaking of some specific individuals that I know and love and pray for, they would acknowledge for sure that God has graciously provided people in their life to minister to them, that God has provided love and support from their local church, that God has sustained them through their affliction, but still just baffled why God wouldn't just directly intervene. He is strong enough. He is powerful enough. He is loving. Why? How long, O oh Lord? How long, God, do you, until you heal my broken marriage? How long will I struggle through my sickness? How long will you let my child suffer through her illness? How long will I have to deal with depression and anxiety? How long will I struggle with this particular temptation? How long will I be isolated in, in my home and lonely? How long till my body heals? How long till you grab a hold of my son's heart and save him, Lord? How long? These are the questions that we ask. These are the questions that we wrestle with. These are the things that we cry out to God for. How long till you do something? This is the question that David is asking in our text this morning. He's saying, God, I know you're mighty to save, so how long until you do it? Mark Vrogop is a pastor and author who has wrote two books on lament. One focused on corporate lament. The other book is focused on more private or personal lament. And he described lament as the language for those who are waiting. Lament is the language for those who are waiting. It's for those who are in between knowing how good and powerful God is, yet struggling with how terrible and hard life can be. Lament opens the door for us to voice our pain, to voice our frustration with these dual realities. Mark went on to say, the cause of all lament is sin. So lament is the language of people who are in this holding pattern, wrestling with circumstances that do not fit with what they know to be true about God's character and his power. What he's getting at here is that we know that God works all things together for good. Romans 8.28 clearly states that, and we always talk about that. It's like definitely a verse that I hold in my heart dearly. Yet, we are still struggling to live in the in-between space waiting for God to actually do it. Waiting for us to actually see it. So what do we do? The psalmist is lamenting. We lament. We weep. We cry. We complain. We bear our hearts to God, trusting that he will do something. This is what the psalmist is struggling with here. So what does he do in his complaint? He turns it into a call to action in verses 3 through 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. For the psalmist, it seems that he has two options here. Either God restore his life, restore the light to his eyes, or death. 
he sleeps the sleep of death and the enemy prevails over him. So he asks here, he almost insists that God no longer hide his face, but that he would come and restore his life and give him victory over his foe, over death. The psalmist puts it all out there. He not only just shares his grievance, but he also shares his expectations. He's expecting God to heal him. And he places all these these grievances and these expectations at the foot of the throne of grace, and he waits. He waits. Now, we don't know how long he waited, but he eventually pivots, and we see that in verses 5 and 6. He takes his eyes off his affliction, and he focuses them on God's steadfast love. Verse 5, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. What David does here, and I just really appreciate this, is he, he looks back at what God has done. Then he looks forward, remembering what God has promised he will do. And then he sings. He praises the Lord. He puts all this joy and sorrow together in song and worships God with it. First, he looks back. David thinks back on past mercies received from God. He says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. When I thought of this verse, I was thinking of Psalm 34, 8, where David says, taste and see the Lord is good. It's almost as if he now has this taste back in his mouth of how good God is after meditating on what God has done for him in the past. He then looks forward. The past has pushed him to think of the future grace that he will receive, knowing that God will save him, that God will remain faithful. And then he sings, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. What a great practice for us today, Christians. When we are lamenting, we are in sorrow, to pause and look back and think about what God has done for us in Christ. And to think about what God has promised in the resurrection, in the future, and then to put all that together and sing songs of praise to him. Here we see that lament begins with honest complaint, but it ends in trust and it ends in praise. This is the reason, or this is another reason why lamenting is only for the Christian. To quote Mark Rogop again, he said, lamenting is not just crying, it's crying out to God in pain that leads to trust and praise. It's not just emotional vomit, he says. It's theological commitment to acknowledge how broken the world is, yet God is perfectly good, and I can trust him through this brokenness. The psalmist begins with complaint, and he ends it with trust and praise on his lips. When we lament, church, of what's wrong, we must remember who is perfectly good, our Heavenly Father who withholds no good thing from those who walk upright. In closing, I want to spend a moment considering what we as a church should be lamenting over. And this has been on our heart as a pastoral team. We live in a world that has been so deformed by sin. It's just so marred and messed up by sin. On a personal level, I do not doubt that we have many people here today who are afflicted by sin and its effects. People who are estranged from their children and just crying out for God, how long, God, to restore that relationship. People battling with chronic pain and illness for years. 
people fighting to restore their marriages, people watching loved ones suffer, laboring in prayer for loved ones who are opposed to the gospel, people battling loneliness, depression, anxiety, poor health. Christian God invites us to share our pain with him in the language of lament. On a corporate level, as a church, I have been made more aware of more injustices, hate, oppression in the last few years that has caused me to go in and out of seasons of both confusion, frustration, sorrow, to name a few, just a few. The pandemic has been terribly hard for a lot of people. People are gripped by fear because of the pandemic. People are losing their businesses. People are losing their loved ones, their lives. This past election has polarized our country more than ever. The pain and the heartache felt and expressed by our black and brown brothers and sisters over injustice, hate, indifference in our country. The increased attacks on Asian communities in our country this last year, including those killed in last week's Atlanta shooting. These are things that cause us as a church to ask, how long, O Lord? On Friday, I was reading about the Myanmar coup where hundreds of innocent men, women, and children are being murdered right now. And heart cry missionaries have been updating the, their ministry on what's going on over there. And it's crazy because they've cut all internet right now, so information's not getting out. But I was able to keep up on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday's update. And I want to read them to you now just to get another picture and idea, again, of how we as Christians ought to lament because of our world being broken. This is the journal entries or the, art, the updates. March 17th, the nights of trembling continue on. By 7 p.m., every house would turn off their light because we are afraid to be noticed by the military. The whole country was in darkness, not only spiritually, but also physically. Within a week, hundreds have been killed. The internet connection was cut off countrywide, but fiber Wi-Fi somehow is working with a low connection. But it really affected so many people. People cannot anymore show the world what, exact, what exactly is going on through video. After martial law was announced, the military terrorists resided in every place. No one dares to go out, even in the afternoon. Everyone locks their doors and hides inside their houses. Not very long ago, we have received the very upsetting news. Our former Bible college student, youth pastor, was shot dead in his lung. He was trying to fetch his sister who was in an uprising area. A 25-year-old young man who loves the Lord and has such a Christ-like character passed away. My heart was broken. Sometimes things that happen are too hard to accept, despite the fact we know that God is in control. March 18th, this is Thursday. We received the news again that the soldiers captured our former student and brother. We learned that he was put in jail. Please continue to pray for him. We do not know what they will do to him. We trust that the hand of the Lord will be upon him. March 19th, this is Friday. Near our house is a dormitory and there's a loving couple who recently has a newborn baby. The husband's occupation was transported by bike. He went out to buy something and never returned. A civilian found his body. He was shot dead. We dare not let his wife know about this yet. To all my praying friends, the reason I'm giving you this update is for you to know how to pray for our country. I'm not trying to scare you, but the condition of this world and people's mind, minds are deteriorating day by day. 
please pray for us that this very last minute the Lord might change direction and give us another great privilege to preach the gospel freely, even if it's just a short moment. It's like when you read and hear about things like this, you ask the question, how long, O Lord? How long until you rise up and destroy the wicked? God invites us to share our pain with them and lament. And God also commands us to lament with those who are in pain. So in a moment, in closing, we're going to listen to a song that is meant to help us reflect on Psalm 13. And as we do, I want to encourage you, even though it's cold and it's windy, I want to encourage you to take a moment to lament together. Consider all that I've just mentioned and share your complaint with God over our broken and sin-filled world. I want to spend time during this song crying out against injustice, against evil, against sin, against sickness. I'm not asking you to pray out loud. You can pray in your heart. You can pray by yourself or you can pray with your family. But I am asking that we as a church in this moment, we pray and we lament and we complain. And then we're going to sing a song after this one, a song of celebration talking about the future hope we have that Christ is coming, where we're going to be able to look back and remember God's steadfast love. Remember how his love was made flesh and dwelt among us, the son of God, Jesus Christ. Remember that although we were unfaithful, Jesus remained faithful for us. Remember Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins and he rose again from the grave. And I think this is so amazing because David's, David's prayer was that God would deliver him from death. And eventually David died, not from this sickness, but he eventually died. But Christ, God answered his prayer through Christ. Christ defeated death. This is the very thing David was asking for. And he has this hope and we have this hope in the resurrection. And then we can look forward to the day that God will right all these wrongs, that he will not forget the cries of the afflicted, that Christ will return and usher in peace on earth. No matter what the outcome is in our life, Christ is king and he will reign in all righteousness and justice. And one day we will be in his presence, the presence of our Lord, with, ev- with people from every tribe and tongue worshiping the lamb, that's Christ who was slain and all things will be made new. This is the hope we have as Christians. But until that day, let us lament, let us cry out, let us trust in the Lord, and let us worship him. Amen.